welcome into this after party edition of the college basketball bonanza. It's Nicholas Hodel, Dominic Stern, Dom Contini. Of course, it's our weekly extension of our main show on Sunday nights on Blaze Radio and BlazeRadioOnline.com, which you can now check out or you can wait until the after party is over. But after that, you can check it out on your preferred podcast platform. And this episode is going to start out with the Big Ten. And if you listen to our main episode, of course, you know we touched on the West Coast a lot, and we didn't get a chance to get into the Big Ten and the Big East. Uh, and the Big Ten, it's a logjam at the current moment. Um, and, of course, we have Mr. Ohio State fan in here, Madonna Contini. The shot at the buzzer Jaden Ivey hit was one of those shots that was just like, he hit that? Yeah. Are you freaking kidding me? Uh-huh. I mean, UG Brown made a contestant last shot that every coach would ask for. And I would say Jaden Ivey would make that shot uh, one time out of ten. And today was, or <laughs> Sunday was that one time out of ten. So, um, it was a weird game, that was for sure. Um, Purdue led 52-32 to with 15 minutes to go in the second half. I mean, they dominated the Buckeyes all game. And, yeah, Ohio State stuck around enough that they were able to make a final push at the end of the game. There were major help from uh, Eugene Brown and uh, Cedric Russell. But I saw what I saw from this Purdue team, I saw a team that can score, but is also a team that can give up a lot very quickly. And Ohio State took advantage of that and went on a run, but Purdue was able to get the final say. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, it was an interesting game for both teams. And we saw a lot from the Ohio State on offense, and we saw a lot from Purdue on defense and how they have a lot of liabilities on both of those sides. Yeah, Purdue, they do have the best offense in the nation, according to Ken Palm, but they have the second worst de- or third worst defense in the Big Ten uh, outside of, then you look at Iowa, Minnesota, and Nebraska. So Purdue, their offense is going to take them as far as they want to go, but their defense is going to be what's limiting them. So uh, if you're Purdue, you got to try and find some ways to clean up your defense uh, if you want to be uh, hoisting the national championship trophy in April. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting with this Purdue team. And the number one adjusted offensive efficiency as of Sunday, Sunday night, uh, but that defense is down or close to the bottom of the league. And that is something that is going to really be an interesting thing for this team going forward. And it, this game in particular contributed to the current logjam that we have as of Sunday. Now, another team that I say the next few seconds or so will be involved within this is Penn State and Iowa have already played by the time this recording is out. But Illinois, Michigan State, Wisconsin are all at two losses in the Big Ten. Purdue and Ohio State at three Big Ten losses. I'll stop there for right now. Because we have five really solid teams in our hands that are all within the Kempom top 26, of course, as of this recording. Who's going to end up coming out on top between those five teams in the Big Ten regular season championship, you think? Uh, well, what, we got Illinois, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Purdue, and Ohio State. Yes. Uh, I, I think it might be Wisconsin. I mean, they just have the knack for winning these yep. close games. They're not the best team. And they're consistent. Yeah, they're not the best team out of these five teams. And I also think that they might have probably not the best like player down the line. I th- we all think that's Jaden Ivey, but uh, best player right now, Johnny Davis. So uh, why, why not ride with uh, Wisconsin? You know what they're getting. At? You know what you're getting out of them. The analytics don't love them because they play close games, uh, no matter who they play. But uh, they know how to win them. So I'll take Wisconsin. Uh, I'm probably going to have to agree with Dom here. I know 
I, I would say any team in this conference at the top can win this conference. But Wisconsin has been the most consistent. They have been the most impressive. So I'm picking the Badgers as well with Johnny Davis and Brad Davidson, the oldest man alive. So. Yeah, and really, Wisconsin, the thing I've said all year about this team is that they're going to go as far as Johnny Davis takes them. Add Brad Davidson to that misc as well. Yeah. He's been really solid uh, for that Wisconsin team. And, I mean, as, as much as we've talked about this league being a battle of big men, it has been the guards yeah. that have really stood out. I mean, you know, the EJ Liddellos are still good. The Kofi Coburn to give you a good performance. But what Ivy and Davis have done for their respective teams has been incredible to watch in the Big Ten this season. Below those five teams, Indiana, Michigan, and Rutgers are all at four losses. And as you guys may know, the top four teams in the Big Ten Conference get that critical double bye in the Big Ten Tournament, which I mean, the more rounds you can skip, the less likely it is that you're going to have to have a bullet to avoid in the first couple of rounds. And, you know, the bottom of this conference is not that good with Maryland, Minnesota, Nebraska, Northwestern. I mean, it's not necessarily the best. I mean, add Penn State to that mix as well. And you have five bullets that you have to avoid if you're trying to build that resume, particularly into the Big Ten Tournament. And if you can avoid those five teams, that's fantastic. But one of these teams will more than likely not avoid that stretch. The big thing here with these three teams is that is there is there a chance for that you guys think that any of those teams could make a run to get that critical double buy advantage in the top four of this conference? Indiana. Yeah, Indiana can. Uh, they got to find ways to win games on the road uh, because they've only lost at home once. That's where they have all their good wins this year. They're going to have to beat some of the top teams on the road. they got to find a way. They have the pieces. Their front court play is obviously one of the best in the country. Back court play is fine to to a point where they can complement uh, Jackson Davis and Race Thompson. So uh, we'll see, but definitely it's Indiana. Uh, yeah, I mean, besides, like, if you go below Indiana, I know we all were high on Michigan entering this year, but we saw what they've done. Um, so far, and I don't see it getting better for Juwan Howard and the Wolverines. But Indiana is really that team on the outside looking in on the the, the five top seeds right now. So if Indiana wanted to make a run, then they definitely could. Yeah, they're the team that could do it. Yeah, and you know, what's really holding Rutgers back in particular is that their offense is just abysmal. Yeah. Um, number two hundred in that that metric in Kempom uh, on Sunday night, just just a brutal offense. And when you're going up against a league that is consisting of pretty much almost all top 100 defense nationally, with the exception of Minnesota and Nebraska, that's a lot of work you have to do. Yep. And that and that's just some that this Rutgers team, I mean, it's done in some games. Uh, it's taken buzzer beaters to win some of those big games. Uh, but consistently, it's not. it just has not come together for that team as well as they would have hoped. No, it's just what happens when you bring in a lot of new players. So that's what happens. Yeah, and again, the Big Ten, I mean, that's a big, that's a, a league that is going to be trending toward getting, I would say, six yeah, in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, just crazy. The Big 12 that only has 10 teams is going to have more bids in them, and that's including one team that's uh, ineligible for the postseason. Yeah, and, and, and it may not even need Oklahoma State to get to that mark either. So that's definitely going to be a very intriguing situation there to discuss with the Big Ten Conference. The Big East Conference is up next and on our rundown here and this is a conference where we are seeing separation and it's thanks to a team that perhaps we didn't expect to get into the conversation the start of the year that being providence yeah shout out to the friars uh you guys know me 
big Padres fan. Gotta love the Friars. But yes. uh, this team, oddly enough, they're number one in luck rating according to Ken Palm. I don't know how that rating is calculated, but they are number one in luck. So, and, and I'll just say before you keep going, it's not close. No, it's not. So, frankly, this team has been lucky this year. I, I don't know how luck is like calculated. Maybe like they're eighteen they're, and two. Yes, they're eighteen and two. And uh, when uh, someone brought it up on the broadcast with their win earlier this week, and uh, Ed Cooley's like, "Well, then I hope we just keep getting lucky because we're winning games, and that's all that matters." And he's one hundred percent right. Uh, I said last week I was a little bit concerned about them, but they go on the road and beat Xavier, and then they beat a red hot Marquette team yep. at home. They're good. I mean, I, I, I never said they weren't good, but uh, this team, they just keep winning. Just got to keep doing that. Yeah, and they beat Xavier by three points. They beat Marquette by two points. And that's where the luck rating kind of comes in. Yeah, and a lot of these wins have been incredibly close. I mean, the four-point win to start off Biggie's play against UConn, the five-point win against Satan Hall, comfortable win against DePaul, got crushed on the road against Marquette. 10-point win against St. John's, 8 points against Georgetown, 7 against Butler in the two games they've had uh, over this past week. And I'll give this to Mitchell Contini here. I mean, they are finding a way to win games, and that's what you got to do in the Big East because it is a physical league. Yep, we've said this all year. The Big East is back. It's good, and you're going to have to find a way to win games, and especially in March. If you can win the close games, you're going to maybe possibly make a run, and Providence has been able to win those close games. And this, this, this Big East Conference is loaded. And you're, if you're able to go on the road, if you're able to win at home, you're going to do just fine. And I'm really looking forward to Providence's game against Villanova here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that will be a huge game for the Providence Friars. And Villanova and UConn, the two teams that we have kind of expected to be at the top of, of this table, they're right behind Providence. I mean, Villanova at 9-2, and two, UConn at 6-2. and two. And if we just look at what... Those teams have to do yet against Providence. Philonova twice. UConn does not have them again. So that'll be a key down the road. But the focus in on those two teams a bit more. Those are the teams that we expected uh, to run the Big East. And perhaps they still could uh, if Providence struggles a bit down the stretch and perhaps gets a little unlucky uh, to go on down the line. But those are two teams and the analytics all say are still the favorites. Yeah, the signs point towards Providence is going to start losing games. But, I mean, if they don't, if they beat Villanova, they are in the driver's seat to win this conference. And UConn, they had a big scare this past weekend. Uh, they struggled against DePaul without uh, Liberty Freeman. So they're, they're a team that they don't shoot the three ball that much. But when they do, it goes in. And uh, they don't get a lot of buckets from the two-point range. But they play great defense. Adama Sinogo. Is just a beast when it comes to blocking shots. Eight uh, percent of shots that he's the nearest defender on, he blocks. I mean, that is insane. That definitely is something to keep in consideration there. Uh, absolutely, and you know, both of those teams, they are trending like the two most likely teams to make the run and represent the Big East well in March. But it's not just those teams. I mean, you got behind them clearly Marquette, Xavier, and Creighton all with four losses, and I would say all in different positions as well as far as whether or not they're going to make the tournament. I think that's a fair assumption to say with Marquette. They've had a great winning streak to get themselves on the safe side of things again. Xavier's just kind of been there and steady. Creighton... You think Xavier's a lock right now? I mean, 15-5 I mean, and five is definitely nothing to really uh, 
scoff at whatsoever. And, you know, their seeding as a five is still very good in Friday's Matrix. Uh, but, you know, a few losses and you never really know. Because, I mean, the bottom of the Big East is a couple of a few bullets you don't want to get into. Well, I mean, this upcoming week is basically going to determine whether or not they make the NCAA tournament. <laughs> because they have a home game against Butler and a home game against DePaul. I mean, if you avoid the two bullets there, I mean, I really think that you're sitting pretty if you're Xavier. Yeah, you're not going to improve your tournament stock, but... You're not going to kill it. Yeah. yeah, and there's that home game at the end of the regular season, too, against Georgetown. So yes. that's one more bull. But by then, too late, you'll be pretty much in a good position either way. Yeah, or or you'll, you'll know if you need to win that game. Yeah. To oh, that, the yeah. Big loss. yeah. I think that's really what it is. Or, so, like, you'll be in a spot where you basically know, all right, we need to not lose this game, which is not a spot you want to be in. Yeah, that's definitely something to really keep into consideration. And for the rest of this conference, Butler, as you mentioned, DePaul as well, St. John, Satan Hall has been a team that has just gotten chewed out by this Big East Conference. They are off on an incredible start uh, to start the, the year. Yeah, nine and one to start the year. And wins at Michigan at home against Texas. Uh, of course, Michigan wins not coming to fruition much of this world, but it is a road win, and that does mean something. It does uh, on the road. But as you mentioned, they've lost six of their last nine games. Uh, now 12 and 7, 3 and 6 in conference play. Friday's Matrix put Satan Hall as the final eight, uh, though, with and, and they did not play a game right, since. Yes, so that's yes. the big the big thing there. They're still in a comfortable position because of some of the stuff they've done at this point. That home win against UConn was big when it comes to that. Yeah, it is. And Seton Hall, luckily for them, they do play Georgetown uh in their next game because Bryce Aiken hasn't played in a couple of games here. He's been one of their a most important player. So you got to wonder how much the committee's going to take that into consideration as well. They don't really take it into that much consideration. They probably will just a little bit. Uh, but when you look at it, if they can find a way to avoid uh, a loss to Georgetown and then they play Creighton, who's one of the teams that's kind of falling off in the Big East, uh, it's an opportunity for Seton Hall to really get going in the right track uh, this week. Mm-hmm. So. That's definitely something that, we're, again, this entire Big East is going to be something to really watch out for. And, and I'll, I'll just have uh, what, you're, what you're thinking here, continue, particularly with Satan Hall, a team that's just kind of struggled in the Big East. You know, what are some of the things they need to do to kind of get back on track and ensure they'll be safe on Selection Sunday? Yeah, with the non-conference schedule Seton Hall had, I mean, they lost to Ohio State on a buzzer beater. They picked up a big win against Texas, beat Rutgers. I mean, Seton Hall... Has the wins, but they just not have performed in conference play, like you said. And they have the next couple games, like Dom said, they have Georgetown. And right after that Georgetown game, they have Creighton, Xavier, Villanova, Connecticut. The pretty much four top teams besides Providence. So if they can easily flip their season around super quickly or just goes down the drain. And yeah, and you know, these next few weeks for Satan Hall as we focus in on the Pirates here. I mean, after that Georgetown game, which is a bullet you have to avoid. Yep. Let's get that perfectly clear. I mean, you did not avoid that bullet at DePaul. I mean, that, that does mean something. Two losses to, to Marquette. I mean, it's like, eh, you know, whatever. Marquette's a solid team. Uh, but, you know, the Georgetown's going to be a bullet. And, and then you mentioned Creighton at home. It'll be intriguing to see where that lies within the quadrants. I can't imagine they'll be quad one, but you know, if it stays in quad two, you know that that'll really help you. I mean, that Xavier, Villanova, and UConn game is—is is there a of those four games? How many do you think they'll need to win to kind of feel comfortable going down the stretch in which they have three games in their last five in the regular season against teams that are outside the Camp Pump top one hundred? Uh, if they can go two and two or three and two. Um, three and one, you mean? Uh, three and one, not Georgetown. Yeah, yeah. 
So, I, if, if they're 2-2 two and two and the one of the losses is Creighton, that means they picked up two wins against either Xavier Villanova or Connecticut. I think that helps them a lot. And that will include one road win, which is critical. Yeah. Yeah, they need to win five of their next games uh, before they go into Big East Conference play. Because you don't want to be in the spot there were last year where it's basically you have to win and, or you're not in. That's what happened. Yeah, and that, that'll be very critical down this drag. I mean, you get Georgetown, as I mentioned earlier, Georgetown twice, Butler and DePaul stuff in the schedule, Creighton twice. You don't really know where Creighton's going to be when it comes to that quadrant, especially at home. The away lane, you may be able to figure out a little bit, but uh, that may be even something that could figure yeah, itself out. And I don't think it gets talked about enough. I mean, Seton Hall is obviously a good program, but they're not like an elite program. And for them to miss the NCAA tournament for the third year in a row, uh, especially when that that first year would have been the Miles Powell senior year. I think that could really be detrimental for the senior hall, for the Seton Hall program going forward because they need to keep making NCAA tournaments. Some, uh, you know, you don't want to fall behind in the Big East. Yeah, and I just now have the idea to pull out the notes I had before the show. It would be really good if I had that idea in the first place. Right. But for Creighton, uh, as if we're sitting here on a Sunday night, 73rd and net, they are on the border. And that is both uh, at home and on the road. Well, a home loss to Arizona State is going to kill you. Yeah. And it's going to keep killing you. Yeah. Especially with Arizona State's next three games. Yeah. And, and, and for the purpose of Satan Hall, I mean, you're talking about having to really start scoreboard watching, which is, I'm sure, the last thing that they wanted to do because, you know, as, as I will mention again, for those who don't know, a top 75 game in net on the road is quad one. A top 75 game on home is quad two. The difference between it's the difference between quad one and quad two for road games, and the difference between quad two and quad three at home, and that difference between quad two and quad three is huge. Yeah. I mean, that is yeah. the point to where you start getting to bad loss territory, and that's something you don't want if you're the Satan Hall team. So that'll be an extremely interesting thing to get to. And also a note on Creighton, uh, they kind of their resume took a big hit this week by the fact that BYU went zero and two. Uh, against Santa Clara and then Pacific, you know, because uh, they do have that neutral floor win over BYU earlier this year, and of course BYU's resume took a massive hit this yeah, weekend. Yeah, and now BYU, they, it's still a quad one win for Creighton. They, yeah. That'll need to stay in the top 50 in net to stay there, and there should not be any doubt in the world that that should stay there, barring yeah. collapse uh, from BYU, but it still is a very interesting stretch of time, and you know, I mean, the, the only wins that they've gotten since New Year's Day at Marquette for this Creighton team have been quad three wins. So that is something that you're going to have to really keep an eye on. I mean, if you're trying to get that seventh bid, um, or even the sixth if Satan Hall collapses down the stretch, uh-huh. that's going to be something to really watch an eye for. And and before we move on from the Big East and discuss some of the other mid-majors, you know, again, like we mentioned with the Big Ten, is that this is another tournament where you were – if you can get that first round by, you will take it and run with it, especially if you're Satan Hall, to try to avoid that bullet uh, as much as you can. In the Big East bracket, it is the top five teams in the conference that will receive that buy into the quarterfinals. Six, seven, and eight will have to play the bottom three teams in the Big East conference. So to bring back up you know, your, your Big East energy of Providence, doing over in UConn, figure they're going to be safe. They're going to be fine. Marquette, Xavier, and Creighton. I will include Satan Hall for the sake of discussion because we've been talking about them a lot. Which other two teams do you guys feel like are going to avoid playing in round one in the Big East tournament? Uh, I mean, I think Marquette, they're hot. 
And then I, I think Xavier is going to hold on. And, I mean, looking at them, the teams below them, it's Creighton, Butler, or the teams behind them, even St. John's. I mean, Xavier is better than those teams. I, I like Xavier and Parquet a lot. I mean, Xavier is a very, very solid team, and Marquette is a, as well. Um, so those, those are the two teams that I think wrap out. Wrap, yeah, uh, wrap I absolutely agree with you guys. I mean, what Marquette's done the last few weeks has been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and quite frankly, if Providence did not use their luck factor again to their advantage, they would be on an eight-game winning streak right now going into a game against Villanova. Like that, you cannot underestimate what Marquette has done whatsoever. And Xavier has really just kind of stayed the course and stayed steady. You know, they've picked up the wins they've had to. But the thing, the interesting thing here with this team is that they've already lost their chances against Villanova, both of them. Um, their schedule isn't bad going forward. A couple games against Satan Hall, a couple against UConn, but also games against Butler and DePaul coming up, Georgetown at the end of the year. So you are going to have to sort of avoid, you know, those bullets. Uh, but it's still a schedule that Xavier should be pretty comfortable with going down the line. So that'll be another interesting thing to get into there. The final big piece of this edition of our college basketball bonanza after party. We're going to look at some of the mid-majors. Uh, as you know, mid-majors are our friend here at the college basketball bonanza. We love them. We give them all the attention, especially during bracket season. We love them. And so I want to go through some of these top mid-majors and kind of see what you guys feel on what they are going to do over the course of the next few weeks. Murray State is up first. This is a mid-major where if you are going to grab an at-large bid via a bid steal in the mid-major land outside of the A-10, and we're not and mid-American isn't really a mid-major, but outside of the American where things get crazy, they're in an absolute hurry, it's going to be Murray State. 22, ultra-impressed to this point. 28th in net. They had the one loss in quad three, but other than that, they have no blunders in the resume. The problem is seven bullets left uh, in quad four with the only opportunity except in quad number two at Moorhead State on February 12 in the home game against Belmont on February 24. So there is not a lot of quality games left in this Murray State slate, but the thing they have going for them, though, is that win-loss volume. And as some that really, as we, as we uh, discussed kind of between ourselves uh, before we recorded this, helped Winthrop about last year. They didn't. I mean, they had one loss going into the NCAA tournament, and that helped them to get get a twelve. And this is a different year because they've had their non-conference schedule. One of their two losses is at Auburn, and it's only by thirteen. And Auburn, of course, number one team in the country, one of only two teams with only one loss on the year. So, uh, or actually, they're the only team with one loss now that Colorado State has two losses. So. Uh, quite literally, I mean, that's the best loss you can have right now. Yeah, the other loss, since the second loss to them is a neutral four against East Tennessee State. Yeah, not a good one. But. Yeah, but they have a couple of wins to really look at that are, you know, not the most quality in the world, but, you know, at Memphis will probably hold up. That might be a quad one win. Yeah, I mean, and, and the home game against Chattanooga was a solid one as well. Um, yeah, it is still quad one. It's hanging on for dear life. Yeah, in quad one. It's, and, and this might be another case, too, of a team having a scoreboard watch a little bit. Because if Memphis falls into quad two, that hurts this team big time. Yeah, and I think it's really hard to hurt a team, especially a team like Murray State that goes on the road and wins at a team that is super talented like Memphis is. Obviously, that's not what the committee cares about. But uh, if Memphis falls out of that quad one range, it shouldn't like theoretically hurt uh, their reputation. It's going to hurt their resume, but that's a different story. I mean, as long as, I mean, realistically, as long as Murray State avoids a loss to Moorhead State and they win at home against Belmont, which that's going to be an incredible game. Yeah. 
They should be going into the Ohio Valley Conference Tournament saying, we are in the NCAA Tournament. And even with a bad loss? No, if they avoid the bad losses prior to the tournament. Prior, yeah, even with a bad loss in the tournament, you're saying they'll, they'll be fine. Yeah, they absolutely should be. And uh, right now, the Matrix, again, Friday's Matrix, has Murray State as an 11. So that is pretty much on the safe side of yeah. the bubble, which is where, where you want to be. And that was before their 11-point victory over Moorhead State, which is the second or the third best team in this conference. Yeah. And then again, like, I would say they're probably the favorite or one of the favorites to win the Ohio Valley Conference yeah. tournament. And I would just ask you this, Contini. Do you, is there a certain point, how many losses do you think can Murray State avoid in quad four and still be on the safe side of the bubble? I mean, like... Maybe one or two, maybe, possibly. They need to not lose to anyone besides Moorhead State and Belmont yeah. in in the regular season. And, I mean, there is a there is a difference, or at least there should be, between losing to, I mean, just going to throw out Austin P uh, in the regular season and Austin P in the NCAA tournament because Austin P is not going to make the NCAA tournament unless they win the Ohio Valley Conference tournament. So they are quite literally playing for their lives in the NCAA tournament, and yeah. that is a different mentality. Yeah. And that should 100% be taken into account yeah. for, in my opinion. Yeah. And, I mean, almost every team in these mid-major tournaments are fighting for their lives in their respective conference tournaments. Right. And the OVC tournament is no different uh, in that regard. So that'll be a team that is going to be followed very closely by the bracketologists as to whether or not they can get into the tournament. And it's just a really respectful mark for them. When this net thing started back in early December, they were... In the mid in the mid sixties in net, and they've only risen since then to number twenty eight. I mean, it's a massive amount of respect I have for Murray State for being able to do that as a mid major. UAB is another interesting case as well over in Conference USA. They are they have had quite a great year in Conference USA. Uh, as I attempt to pull this up and not get too too finger up. There we go. Uh, now they did pick up a loss at Marshall. That never helps. Uh, but you're 17 and 5, 7 and 2 in the conference, 47th in the Ken Palm, 43rd in net. But with these mid-major teams, you do not have a lot of room for air whatsoever because your strength of schedule hurts and you're out of conference and the schedule typically also follows. And this is a team that you look at the non-conference they have. They had a golden opportunity on a neutral floor against San Francisco and just barely lost that game. Uh, a, a good road win for them at St. Louis. That is trending quite well. We're going to talk about them a little bit later on uh, in this segment as well. Uh, but you have to avoid some of these quad three losses. And the fact they picked one up on Saturday kind of hurts them a little bit here. Yeah, and what they have to do is they really have to avoid the stretch of three straight road games. That's that's what I'm looking at. It's at UTSA, at UTEP, and at Southern Miss. I mean, they only have one home loss on the year, and that was to West Virginia by six. So. You're not playing West Virginia for the rest of the year. Uh, you do have North Texas uh, at home, and you do have Louisiana Tech at home. So if you lose those games, you're like, okay, those aren't bad losses. But uh, it's the UTSA, UTEP, Southern Miss losses that I think it really killed them. Yeah, and, and you know, this is a, again, as I mentioned, mid-major programs don't have a lot of room for error. We look at Friday's matrix again, UAB in 95 and 98 brackets. It's hard to tell these automatic qualifiers whether or not they would be on AQ, typically in UAB's case, where they are turning as a 12. Uh, and then some brackets do have them included as a 10 or 11, but it's not many. 
which signals to me that they're kind of out of the at-large discussion at this point. Well, and they technically shouldn't be the automatic qualifier anymore because they're no longer in first place, even in their division. North Texas, who I mentioned uh, as my mid-major of the week, they're 8-1, UAB is 7-2, and two, so... And, uh, and, and you wonder also if, some, if the Matrix is going to catch up to that eventually. I think yeah, that's the case here. It will. But. Yeah, and it typically does catch up, and no, and the bracketologists will catch up to that. We might find out at this point in the week what the true automatic qualifier, not the automatic qualifier, the at-large discussion is with UAB. I don't think there's much there compared to some of the other teams, but I think there's a slight shot. Like You may see them within the likes of Notre Dame, SMU, just kind of like in that bottom there, just kind of like looking for a way in. And the way in for UAB is to win, win, win some more. Yeah, they're, they're basically have to win out, and including those wins over Louisiana Tech and North Texas. Yeah, and a team that perhaps might be in a bit more stable position when it comes to that, Davidson, the A-10. This is not something that was expected at all for them this particular season. 17-3, and a home loss to the CU earlier this week. Uh, again, again, since it is at home, that does count against you a little more than other losses. But this is a team that is still in a solid state, 16-3, 46-in net. I mean, it's only a quad two loss, so it can't hurt you too much at this point. And I'll throw it over to Mr. Contini here. Davidson looks like a team that, as of this moment, is pretty safely in there. Yeah, I was pretty actually high on Davidson going into the season with my one of my best friends of high school, Des Watson, going there. He's been a great piece off the bench for the Wildcats. But, um, yeah, they're, 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 they're holding strong. But if that loss to VCU, that's going to hurt. But, yeah, it was only a two-point loss. Um, that, that will happen every once in a while. They're not going to win every game. But I expect Davidson to be playing in March and uh, causing some chaos in that first weekend. So Yeah, they're a really fun team to watch. Uh, Luka Brodjkovic, he's their big man, but he can go out and shoot threes. Uh, 17 of 41, that is 41% from three. And Foster Lawyer, he's their point guard. He does all the running around. He's a lot of fun to watch. Third best free throw percentage in the country. You want a team that can close out games. They can do that. They have guys that can shoot free throws and shoot them well. And then Hyun Jung Lee is one of their best offensive players too. Uh, shoot 60% from two, 81% from the line, and 38% from three. Talk about a guy who can score at all three levels. Uh, six foot seven junior. A lot of fun to watch. I love watching Davidson. Their defense is going to hold them back. 195th in defensive efficiency. That's probably because they go with a really slow pace. 322nd in adjusted tempo. They make sure their possessions count. And I mean, you don't just win 15 straight games by accident. A loss to VCU is not a bad loss, like you mentioned. Quad two. And them winning at VCU earlier this year, I think says a lot about Davidson. And it kind of it doesn't negate the loss, but it almost does. So, but it kind of does because it's a quad one win. Right. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna choose the game to win, you're gonna choose the quad one game hundred times out of hundred. I would imagine. Yeah, but uh, you, you obviously want to win the other game. But they're both two point games, so those two teams are really tight. That's all that really means. And uh, we talked about it. VCU plays Dayton this week, and. You're looking at it. Davidson only has one game against Dayton. It's the last game of the year. It's at Dayton. They're probably going to be, you know, silently rooting for VCU to win and then just hoping that they beat Dayton to end the regular season on a strong note going into the A-10 tournament. And if that happens, I mean, I really think that you're looking at Davidson once again going into the A-10 tournament saying, 
We are in the field no matter what happens this week. And you know the A-10 tournament has a recent history of bid stealing. Yes. And that has been a crazy tournament. Uh, in the interest of time, we'll kind of move on and kind of combine a couple of teams in the Southern Conference. Chattanooga and Furman have had really outstanding seasons. Uh, this is not in the territory of necessarily an at-large, though. Chattanooga, 39th in net. I mean, they're not bad rank, but a couple of quad four losses kind of puts them almost out of the discussion for that entirely. But these are a couple of teams that they are going to meet again uh, on February 12th. That'll be a big game. We may end up picking that down the line, so who knows. But he, a big opportunity for, for both of those teams. And I believe a couple of teams that has the potential to cause some chaos. I mean, they have the profile of better offense and defense, which it, to me, it's not what I want. But you just never know. They got the slow tempo. Yeah, but they have good defenses. They're 122nd and 124th, respectively, and then 30th and 32nd. Uh, Chattanooga edges Furman in both those. So you're, you're looking at two builds of good teams. Yeah, I like Furman. I like Chattanooga a lot. Um, I mean, both of them keep doing their winning things. They're going to do just fine. And um, I'm really looking forward to the meeting in a Southern Conference Championship game, hopefully. So... Would love to see those two teams play each other for the conference tournament title. Yeah. Would love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, I mean, you're probably looking at two teams that are would be playing for an NCAA tournament bid, bid, but the loser might get in. So, like, you're really... Might. I said might. Yeah, I uh, I, I can't see it, though. Like, I, no, I, 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 it's I neither resume is standing out to me at yeah, this point. Every team... One of these teams is going to have to win every single game they have left on the schedule, and the other team is going to have to win every other game besides when they do play each other Yeah, on uh, February 12th, I think. Is yeah, the and, and, and like I mentioned, you know, these mid-major programs don't have a lot of room for air. Uh, Furman's kind of overextended that with seven losses already. Yeah. Like, I, I really can't do anything about that. Chattanooga, the four losses aren't bad. The problem is two of them are in quad four. That's what I don't like, and that's no. what kind of gets me like, eh, whatever. Couple other teams in a couple of different conferences. Iona is a team that has really excelled under Coach Rick Patino, uh, kind of in the midst of a really big um, run of games. Um, the only game they've lost this December was a road game at St. Louis. That would have been big, but the neutral site win against Alabama, they've they have proven they can upset teams. They got the profile of a really good team. Nah, they're really good, and I mean this is definitely a much better team than the Iona team. That was the nine seed entering the MAC uh, tournament yes. last year. They're going to be the one seed. I would be shocked if they lose in that conference tournament. Uh, they're going to have to make sure that they win it because they're probably not going to get in because every other team in the MAC uh, is not very good. Uh, but they they have that win over Alabama. Their loss to Belmont is not a bad loss. Only by seven. Their loss to Kansas on a neutral floor. Not a bad loss. Both should be quad one, or the Belmont one might be quad two, and then at St. Louis, currently quad one. So uh, don't another team that maybe if you don't slip up throughout the regular season, and then you lose to one of the top teams in this conference, like maybe a Fairfield or Monmouth, uh, maybe in the the MAC uh, tournament championship, maybe you get in as the 11 seed, and they they ship you out to the first four and say we're not going to really give you the the real. Uh, NCAA tournament, uh, you're going to have to earn your way into the field of 64. We love the MAC, don't uh, we? Uh, it's hard not to. Yeah, and there's a reason why we're saying the MAC, because the other two you're mentioning is the MAC. Yes. Toledo. And I'd love us to continue to talk about them to close out uh, this after party, but this Toledo team has definitely been a team that has impressed um, 
over the course of the last month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, eight-game winning streak for them, 9-1 and one in Mid-American Conference play. Uh, another team that is looking very solid so far. I mean, none of their losses are all that bad. The yeah. only losses they've had are on the road. And, yes, they've lost at Oakland. Yes, they've lost at Kent State. Uh, but this is a team that is proving itself against competition that may not be able to enter that way to par, but they're winning. Yeah, I want to shout out Coach Todd Kowalczyk quick here. I mean, he's I'm, I'm from Columbus, Ohio, and I was on the high school basketball scene, and I would say he has, him and Jeff Bulls, the head coach at Ohio University, they have shut down all roads from Columbus, Ohio. For They have got all the high school talent from that area, so I want to give a shout out to them because I love um, in-state talent going to in-state schools. But if we're going to talk about this Toledo team and their recent history on this eight-game winning streak like Nick mentioned, they have won every game convincingly. And they were my team, in, uh, back, my mid-major team in the league last week. Their really only closest game was against Miami of Ohio, which is another solid team in this conference, and that was on the road as well. But every other game besides that, they have won convincingly. So this Toledo team is legit. And Donovan was pointing out Oakland to me as well. I mean, they're not a bad team. The leader in the Horizon League. Yeah, which is crazy. And uh, Oakland's loss, I mean, to Milwaukee uh, without Patrick Baldwin is really killing them. Milwaukee has been arguably one of the most disappointing teams in the country. This yeah, year. and should there be no chaos in bracket season conference tournament time, we may be looking at, I mean, the 12th line is usually pretty strong. The 13th line might be very interesting to watch this year as well. Yeah, and I mean, we saw, we've seen a lot of 13-4 upsets of late, so... Uh, those are those are the trendy ones because the four and the five seeds are typically teams that we know can be good, but have been super inconsistent. And you just catch them off guard in that one game, and then uh, hopefully there's no uh, there's no teams like Texas losing on the three line. As as fun as that is, it's really hard to watch. Like yeah. just from watching these teams excel to get to that three line and then lose to teams they have no business losing. Abilene to. Christian. Yeah, shout yeah. out Abilene though. They were fun, but yeah. no reason Abilene Christian should ever ever be the University of Texas. <laughs> yes, and that'll do it for this after party. And of course, when listening to our main episode on this past Sunday, you know what to do. You can play that right now on your preferred podcast platform, as well as any other episode you want to see or listen to from previous weeks. For Dominic Sterling, Doc and T, and Nicholas Hoja, wishing you a very good week, and we'll see you on Sunday night, 7 o'clock Arizona time on Blaze Radio and BlazeRadioOnline.com.